Welcome to Whitewater Wesleyan Community Church, where we invite you to believe in Jesus, belong to his church, and become like him. Stay tuned for this week's message. Picking up a new passage, a new series this morning, and uh, looking at Matthew chapter 22, and I'm starting to read at verse 34. It's uh, a passage that may sound familiar if you read through that last uh, chapter of Mark that we were studying through for Easter. And this is a, uh, a story that is listed there, but also is told in Matthew's gospel. Matthew 22 and verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So I'm looking around. A lot of you probably grew up going to Sunday school. So here's the Sunday school question for you. How many commandments are there? How many? There's a couple of kids over there that know it. Good answer, 10. Everybody's looking at me like he's tricking us, isn't he? So there's, we always talk about the Ten Commandments and, and list them out. And sometimes if you grew up going to Sunday school, you learn the Ten Commandments. But uh, so we think of the number as ten. But if you look at the Old Testament law, the, the first five books of the Old Testament are kind of known as the law, the Torah. And, uh, and in there, there's actually 613 statutes. So the law, Ten Commandments, 613 Commandments depending on which you go, and just if you're visiting, don't sweat it. I'm not going to go through all 613 this morning. It's okay. You're safe. But so when Jesus is, is peppered with questions, and, and we just finished in our Easter series, that last week of Jesus' life where there were Pharisees, religious leaders, kind of peppering them with trick questions to trap them, and uh, this is one of the questions that they posed to him at that time. So Likely this incident at the end of Matthew's gospel would have happened in that last week. And, and we know that when Jesus was given these questions, they were meaning to trip him up. There kind of wasn't a right answer and they thought they could trap him. They could have an excuse to kill him. And, uh, and so they're looking for something on him. And often, as we pointed out last uh, in that last series, there were all these times where Jesus just had exactly the right answer. That just put them on their heels he was able to stave them off. They tried to trap him, and they end up being the ones that looked a little foolish. But now, this incident, uh, they're, they're, this guy is going at him, and so, you know, he, he says to, the, to Jesus, what's the most important? Like, like if you're going to boil it down, which commandment is the most important out of all the commandments? And, uh, and whether you're picking from the 613 or from the 10 that we know, whichever it is, he's asking them to narrow the list. Like pick a winner, pick number one. 
you know, and, and so it might be the, the top 10 list, just like the prophet David Letterman, might be 613 he's pointing out, but either way, he's asking him to narrow it down to one. And I would have thought, if, if I didn't know this story or read this passage, I would have thought, you know, Jesus is probably going to go, well, they're all important, right? It's what kind of, you, you kind of would expect them to say. Every rule is important. Every commandment is important. Like I I wasn't just whistling Dixie there. You should obey all of them. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't answer them. They're all important. His answer, though, also doesn't, like, like Jesus doesn't follow instructions very well on the test, right? He's asked to narrow it down to one, but Jesus actually answers with two. And so he says, he sounds like he's answering first, and, and he says, well, the most important commandment, greatest commandment, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But then he says, but there's another one that's equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so he throws that one in. And he doesn't just throw it in as, you know, this is number one, but, but you know, honorable mention to the second one. He says it's equally as important. So he doesn't narrow it down. Uh, he doesn't say all of them, all 613. He doesn't say all 10. He says... I'll narrow it down for you, but I'm not putting it to one. There's, there's two, and they go together. And I wouldn't have expected that, but, but that's, that's the answer that he gives. But why, why two, right? Like what, why didn't Jesus narrow it down to one? Why didn't Jesus say, well, you got to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Definitely number one. Like, if he's going to narrow it down, if he's not going to say all of them, doesn't it seem like it's more important that we love God than that we love everybody else? Like, yes, it's nice, it's important, and we should be nice to each other. We should try to love the people around us. But, but why would Jesus not only mention it, but put it equal with loving God? And so we... We respond to that, and if it wasn't Jesus, we might stop and say, well, why? Why add that? And probably, too, because we live in North American culture where we are used to messages that tell us, look after your own, you know, look after your own family first, and, and maybe then you can have some interest in, you know, people you work with and a few people around you, your friends, and, and you should kind of take care of them, too, family first, and then them, and and maybe you can have some community interest. Maybe, you know, you should love everybody a bit, but, but really concentrate your efforts on your own family. You should come first. We kind of have that individualistic kind of idea of looking after ourselves and looking after our own first. If you remember back in the day, remember the Little Rascals? I was really excited to hear that there's a family in this church, and I... And I Something came up, and we mentioned the Little Rascals, and one of the little girls said, yeah, I've seen that movie. Now, she meant the one from, like, the 90s or the 2000s or something, the remake, but I'll take it, right? The older people, we get it. You know, the Little Rascals, they're funny, they're, they're impish, and uh, you remember Spanky saying, you know, his, his friends would say something and kind of include him in it. Well, we'll do this, or we should do that, and he'd say, what do you mean, we? Like, like, you're on your own, buddy. If, if you're making decisions, you just go ahead and commit yourself, but leave me out of it. And we look at things as individuals. We're, 
We admire the loners and the unique people and the people who stand out on their own. But there's this communal nature to Christianity. And, and so when Jesus is answering, he says, look, you got to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's the greatest commandment, but, but along with that, together with that, equally as important as that is how you love other people. See, there's not any such thing as kind of the lone Christian. It's a myth. And we could say, well, I can, I could learn about Jesus and I can, I can uh, read and study and watch some YouTube videos and I, I can do my whole Christian thing. It's, it's me and, and in North America, we always talk about my personal relationship with Jesus. And what we mean by that is that we have a relationship between God and us that's just us and God. And while it is important that we take it personally and that we personalize our faith and we own it for ourselves, there's kind of no way to do Christianity by yourself. That's what the scriptures tell us. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There's no way to kind of do this on your own. If you're really following God, if you really love him, you can't walk around, say you love him, and not love other people. We're told in Scripture, too, that if you say you love God and you don't love who you haven't seen and, and you don't love your brother who you have seen, he says, you're a liar. Like, you, you can't do that. It's impossible to do. There's this communal uh, dimension to it. There's this relational dimension to the Christian life so that you can't love God and just talk about you and God and, and be in that sweet spot where I, I pray and I talk to God and, and, you know, he talks to me maybe sometimes and I've got this relationship with him, but I don't need anybody else. That's a myth. It doesn't exist. From the very beginning of the Bible in the, in the book of Genesis, when we hear the creation story, uh, God gets to day six when he creates mankind and he says, it says that God in, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. They will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. So you get two things there. If you notice, it says, God says, let us make, ma like, make mankind, let us make human beings in our image. Who's he talking to? Who else is he creating with? Is there anyone else that creates the world? No, it's just God. But we believe that, that Jesus was God, and, and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And even though there's this relationship between them, and Jesus prays to the Father, and he defers to the Father while he's here on earth, we'd say, Jesus is God. So there's God the Father, and then there's Jesus, who's his son. And, and then Jesus says, when, when he left here, he ascended into heaven, and he says, if I don't go, he says to his disciples, then the Holy Spirit can't come and you're going to need him. And so he leaves and the Spirit comes. And, and so there's these three people in the Godhood and the word Trinity is nowhere in the Bible, but the concept of God's plurality, that God is, is plural, that, that God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit are all God, but there's only one God. It's, it's written throughout Scripture. So you might not put the, the label Trinity on it, 
but it's in the fabric of the entire thing. And from the beginning, God says, let us make man in our image. And then in the prologue to John's gospel, it says, in the beginning was the word, you know, talking about Jesus and the word was with God and the word was God and nothing that's been made was made without God. Like the whole thing kind of pulls together and, and there's the Trinity is like, like there's three people in, in, the, in the Trinity, but there's only one God and all of them are the one God, which is kind of a mind-blowing concept for us. It's like, well, is there one of them or is there three of them? And the answer is yes. And what I really like is what, I believe it was Karl Barth that said, if you deny the Trinity, you're in danger of losing your soul, but if you try to understand it, you're in danger of losing your mind. I think that's true. It, it, we can't fully comprehend the separateness or the oneness, but we want to say that both are true, because that's what the Bible teaches. And so God says, let us make mankind in our image. See, there's this relationship between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit so that they're so close, they're one God. But it's not as if there's one God wearing masks or pretending to be different people. There's actually three separate people too. And so there's this, this unique, intimate community between the three and the Godhead. And, and if we are followers of, of that God, if he's our model for living, then it makes sense that when he makes us in his image, one of the ways he makes us is that we are wired to be in community in that way. We're wired to have good relationships with other people. And things are broken when our relationships are all broken. And it's hard for us to function in our belief in God and our relationship with him if we can't get along with other people. So in seminary, we learn these things and you study the, the, the Trinity, but you don't fully grasp it. But the, the concept is there of God in perfect relationship with the other people in the Godhead. And we are called into that same kind of relationship. Not in the same degree. We can't be that close to each other. But we're called to live life together in connection. It's essential to God's identity and it's essential to our identity as a church. So that's why there's no way to do Christianity that's just me and God. And that's why Jesus also says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. Like, I'll show up when you gather with other, other believers. That doesn't mean that if you're on your own, if you were stranded on a desert island and, and, and some people who are introverts kind of thought, that would be really great to be on a desert island as long as I had enough food, like, like people not pestering me until COVID hit and you actually were alone for a long time. And then you go, maybe not. But there's this nature to us, even if we're not real people, people, and we like to be alone sometimes, we all need other people. And so Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm always with them. Well, he's everywhere, so he is with us, even if we're not, uh, even if we're not with other people, but there's a special way that he's with us when we're with other people because we need them to really understand God. And if we don't work on our relationship with other people, if we don't kind of live life together with other people, then we can really never get God. And that's what Jesus is driving at here. He isn't just answering this uh, detractor. He isn't just saying to this Pharisee something to be clever 
to kind of push him back or not, not answer his question with a straight answer. He isn't just trying to get himself out of trouble. He's teaching something to his disciples in that moment that he knows they will need going forward from here. That when he leaves and they're left on their own to carry things on, that they will need each other. That we will need each other. And so he says, here's the perfect moment to teach them how the world works. you got to love God, but you've got to love other people. And if you don't love other people, don't even fool yourself that you actually love God, because that's not possible. So he, the other guy, he brings this theoretical test to Jesus. But Jesus isn't speaking theoretically. He's just not talking about the theology or what we believe He's being practical. He's, he's teaching us actions and not just theology. And the actions were all compressed into relationship. Relationship with God and how we relate to him and how we relate to each other because of that relationship. And he doesn't prioritize. He doesn't say, well, do this one first. And, you know, once you got that mastered, you can move on to people. He says, no, like you can't. They go together so intricately that it's equally important. So Jesus had told his disciples that, you know, the law would never pass away. If, you're, if you read the King James Bible back in the day, it was like, not one jot or tittle will pass away from the law. The equivalent would be like, not one dot of the I or cross of the T. Like, nothing's going to pass away from the law. They're all still valid. So why did Jesus narrow it down to two? He kind of cheated. Because if you obey those laws... Jesus says the entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. He says, if you really understand what it means to love God and to love your neighbor, you will cover every other one of those laws. He says the entire thing is summed up by that. This is the big picture story that the rest of the Bible is just the details being worked out. And so every story in the Old Testament, every instruction for how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to treat people, they all are summed up in that love of God and love of our neighbor. Jesus says they all are just the working out of those two concepts. It's all covered in that. Now the danger is that we would walk around and go, okay, I just need to love everybody, I, I think I know what that means, and so I'll just be nice. I'll be a nice person. I'll walk around, be nice to everybody, be a pretty nice guy, and I got it covered. I don't even need to read the Bible. Don't need to do any of that. I can just be nice. Or you could read your Bible, and you could uh, study it and find verses and say, well, that verse seems to be saying this, and this is what I think of it, and this is what I think it means, and, and go around, and, and we've all met Christians who seem really mean and you go, if it's all about love, I don't know why you're acting that way. You ever felt that way? Don't all speak at once. I have. But the, the thing is that what Jesus says here, when he says that it all, the demand of the prophets and all of the laws all summed up in these two, he's not saying that all those details don't matter what he's saying is that in order to do those, you're going to end up doing this. So it means when we read scripture, when we try to understand it, when we want to apply the Bible to our lives, 
what we need to do is understand that it's all pointed towards love, to loving God and to loving other people. And if there's something we read that doesn't come off that way, that doesn't seem like that, if there are verses where we, that, that kind of lead us to walk around angry and mad and, and, and judging and kind of harsh, that maybe we're not connecting with the scripture the way we should. And so the two possibilities, whenever there seems like a disconnect between what the Bible says and love, either I don't understand what the Bible's actually saying and asking me to do or asking me to believe or, or how it's telling me to live, I either misunderstand the Bible or I misunderstand love. And some people walk around and misunderstand love and they think just be nice and generally okay and then do whatever you want. Or there's people that would look at the scriptures and say, ah, I, I, I'm going to just do this but I, I, and I'm going to do what I think it means, but they're walking around glum. But if we understand it correctly, then it's going to lead us to love. And if we, if we look at it through that filter, love helps us understand the scripture and the scripture helps us to understand the true definition of love. They work together to straighten us out and to teach us what's real and what it means to really live life the way that we should. The way we should act towards God and the honor we should give him and the way that we should love him and the way, what it means to love other people. So Jesus kind of does say everything, all the laws. But he does it by saying these two. If you learn how to love God and people, then you'll really fulfill all of the scriptures. And if you want to know what love really looks at, then you should study this and understand it. Because it'll help you to define how you relate to other people. And sometimes it will confront you acting in ways that aren't in line with what it means to follow this Jesus and his father. So the implication is that we have an obligation to each other. And that the way that we live out our Christian lives among other believers and among people outside, some of us, you know, it can be hard to deal with other people and we can be tempted to kind of stay in here in our little holy huddle and hang out with other people who think like us and look at the world like us and agree with us on everything. And that can be dangerous because we learn to be less loving in that context. Some of us can't even get along with each other. And we find it even hard to love the people sitting across the church from us. But Jesus points out to us that these relationships are what it means to really love him. He says, if you're going to say you love me and you're going to really dig into that, you're automatically going to get in connection with people and you're going to have loving relationships. And as far as it's possible on your side, you're going to love everybody as much as you possibly can. So as we look over a few of the New Testament passages over the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at this concept of what it means to be in relationship with people, to be in relationship to our friends and, and our neighbors and, our, and strangers and, and to the poor and, and to God and even to our enemies. And how we treat those people 
is part of how we relate to God. And what we do with that will tell us whether we're really serious about him or not. Scripture says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not, Jesus said, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And in 1 John chapter 4, it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's strong words. But it gives us the context for what we're doing. Otherwise, all the singing and all the praying and all the preaching add up to nothing because it all boils down to that to his love that's born in our hearts so that we can love him back and so that we can love everybody else. Let's pray together. God, this morning as we've gathered here, um, we realize that, that Jesus did so much for us, that he taught us and that he lived and he died for us. And as we look at this passage this morning, it confronts us and if we're honest, we are not always loving with each other. There are times when our hearts are hardened and we find excuses for our anger and our bitterness. And our response to you and to other people is, is not to be open and soft. that we fail in our love for you sometimes because we fail in our love for other people. And so we ask you this morning to work on us, to work in us, that we would understand what it is to be in community the way you, the Father and the Son, are one, that we would be closer and closer to one another, not just randomly, but that we would be loving people so that we can reflect your love. And so that we can treat the world around us with such love that they actually get a glimpse of you by the way that we live our lives. Help us to see you and understand you and understand everything about your word. All that you want to teach us about what it means to live in love with you and lovingly towards other people. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.